subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Hello everybody and welcome back to Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me, as always, my lovely co-host and editor. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it again for our last movie of the year. Our last movie of the year. Yes, we have covered quite a few this year, more than than last year. (laughs) <laughs> that's an understatement <laughs> more than the more than the year before more than the last three years combined probably yeah. i'd imagine so yeah but this is really crazy i like this year once minus one came out it went fast again yeah that's true it doesn't feel like it's been almost well it's only been like a week and a half or so now but like can time stop moving? Okay, I just... Well, I didn't think about this, but next year, I leave this decade of ages I'm in. Jesus. Yeah, life is uh, certainly being life and going into all all new directions next year, it seems. So that'll be... Uh, <sighs> next year yeah. will be interesting. Next year... Oh, God. I, I, I just... I hate the fact that I turn. I like. I'm leaving. I'm. I'm. I'm going into a new new decade. Right. That makes me feel old. I don't like that. I mean, you are. No, I am not. I am not. Some people think you are. Oh, that's true. Some people think I am. Oh. Well, it's funny because I got a good chuckle out of that. Now I know what you felt. That's right, because I've told you, so for context, at my job, like 90% of the people that work for me that are like under the age of 18 always assume I'm like 5 to 10 years older than I actually am. And it is the worst and funniest feeling at the same time. You do look like you're about 82, I'd say. I hate you so much. But like two, <sighs> seventy three, or wait, no, that's forwards. Seventy one. <sighs> Are you done yet? Sixty four. So I don't like the fact that I'm actually getting to a little bit closer to the age that people think I am. <laughs> it's no bueno. <laughs> and from what I've told, it keeps going faster. Yeah, every year tends to go faster and faster and faster. And I I don't like that in the slightest. I'm going to be honest here. This, is, this, this episode is actually just us talking about how time is getting quicker and we're getting older. And it's Real. like... I mean, it is a legitimate... Con- it is a legitimate, like idea though that because of how your brain processes things um like 
you perceive time faster than how you did as a child. Right. And like when you, especially when you go about looking at it in a retrospective, like this year feels like it's gone by very fast, but I guarantee you there's been days where I've been like, this day cannot go any slower. I mean, yeah, yeah, that always happens. Um, yeah, but can like this, like, you know, we're all near at the end of the year. We're in the last like three, four weeks or something. Can this? Surely it can uh, slow down for at least a few days. See, the the thing that like really freaked me out was I remember when Shin Kamen Rider was announced. And I remember when they said it was coming out in 2023, I was like, oh, that's actually a little far off. Like, I'm going to forget this movie's coming out before it comes out. And then I didn't. And now it's been out for like seven months in Japan. Yeah. And it's like, what happened? Mm. Like, we're, we're, we're on to a new Godzilla movie from Japan. And we're about to be on another one. Oh, that's depressing. But hey, at least Monarch is pretty good. You know, speaking of being pretty good, how have you been? Like, we legitimately have not spoken, like, hardly at all. Yeah, today's been pretty pretty good had work got off work and you know went to the movies with a few people mm -hmm. got some dinner i went to a restaurant for the first time in ages not counting one other event <laughs> i have a way first time i have a way first time going to a japanese restaurant oh what'd you get uh i got udon and which are like uh, really thick noodles, mm -hmm, right? And um, like tempura fish, which okay. is basically just like deep fried fish. <laughs> Something like, right. it's like what you'd get from fish and chips. So, um, it was okay. It was okay. I'm not. I'm, I'm not personally a big. I, I I don't know the Japanese food I've had. Not really my thing, but I've only I haven't had that much. So maybe who knows? Maybe there's some like amazing godsend that i have not had the chance to try yet right see in my experience i've uh i'm also just a picky eater so you know see i think you are uh i'm i'm very much not a picky eater i will i will eat anything that remotely sounds good i wish i was like that like, if somebody's like, you should try this, I will absolutely try it. Like, I, I'm, I am not one to shy away from trying new food. See, I'm the exact opposite, I'm going to be honest here. <laughs> well, maybe you try something and it's like the best food ever. Yeah, but like, it isn't. <laughs> not for me, anyways. That's not a good argument. Okay, I never said I was trying to convince you i think you need to re realign your thought process okay we're gonna say i won this argument i wasn't trying to argue but anyways well i win sure you can I told you have that argument that i'm not trying to have there we go speaking of arguments what tokusatsu have you watched i have watched 
Kamen Rider Geats the movie. I don't remember much from that movie outside of only really enjoying the last 15 minutes and uh and Cowboy Kamen and Cowboy Buffer. I liked Cowboy Buffer. I see. You have no clue what I'm talking about. I have no idea. I don't know what you're talking about. I just know it's a comment of a writer who's the greatest kicker of Japan and of all men. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah, I think. And then I also watched Godzilla Minus One. How many times? Well, uh, last time I mentioned... Since last recording. Last time I was at four, now I'm currently at five. Oh. I know you're at a a bit of a higher number. Yeah. Well before before we talk about that, what else? Is there any other Tokusatsu or Kaiju stuff you've watched? Uh not really. Well, there is one thing you've watched because we actually haven't talked about the fact that we've watched this together at all on the show, but we've been watching Monarch together. More you know, I thought we did. Because Thanksgiving, it it came out the week before Thanksgiving. And by that point, we had already recorded all of our episodes for November. The more you know. Right? Yeah, I think so. Because we were like a month ahead. And we had bonus episodes. And we don't talk about tokusatsu and kaiju we've watched. And then for minus one, you and I both were like, we're just going to cut straight to the chase because this is already going to be a four-hour show. So, yeah, we we haven't talked about Monarch. Uh, Maybe we've talked about the first two episodes. Maybe the first three. I definitely talked about the first episode. But three and four, I know we haven't addressed. Mm. Or four and five. Four and five. Well, yeah, but five did just come out. <laughs> five just came out. Four came out the week of minus one. Oh, so it'd be three, four, five we haven't talked about. Yeah. Good show. I give it my thumbs up. See, I, I'm a little little more negative than you. Not a lot. I just think that with episode four, it started to be a little... Four just was a lateral episode. Five was a little better, but the writing was a little worse. Um, I would say the writing was good. It's just that minus some of the dialogue in episode five. I'd say some of the dialogue in yeah, episode the dialogue, was shoddy. Yeah. And you and I have both said this when, when we, you know, talk about it after and we I'm, watch it. And I'm really missing the 50s cast. I want them yeah. back. Thank God yeah. they're back next episode. Yeah, that's that's highly I, missed. Like, I like this cast. Don't get me wrong. But I also really enjoy the fifties cast. <laughs> they're they're very entertaining. They are. They are. It's sad that they haven't been in these last two episodes. So those have been pretty fun. Mm, it's a good show though. Best best thing in the Monsterverse. Which that's something we're gonna talk about here in a little bit too, the Monsterverse. Um, was there anything else you've watched or is Not it that I can recall, no. Okay. Well, outside of Monarch, I've I've watched Godzilla minus one again. Yeah. How last many recording, times have you watched that? Last Do recording, I was at three. I am at seventeen now. And counting. 
And counting, yes, indeed. <laughs> um, 18 will be tomorrow as of this recording, and 19 will be the day that this comes out. Absolutely. Maybe 20. Wild, my guy. I'd like to think I'm going to be the reason that Godzilla Minus 2 comes out. I think you're the reason that it's that it's been at number one in the recent dailies. <laughs> Probably. There's been days where I've literally just went to the theater at noon. Especially that Wednesday where it yeah. just went back up. I'm like, hmm, I wonder who might have caused this. Well, whoever did is a genius and a master. I don't know if genius is the right word, but they certainly do like being divorced from their from their wallets. Maybe. <laughs> but I I am very much happy with minus one. I've uh yes, am I. I've still teared up a couple times and I'm enjoying it. And it's been doing very well. It's been breaking records in the United States. Just hit it's, four billion yen. It hit four billion yen, and it went up. Attendance went up this week. Um, in in contrast to last week in Japan, hmm. it has been very nice to see minus one doing so good critically, financially. It's on the Oscars finalist list, which is wild. It's insane. But if let's be real here, Godzilla's went seventy years without Oscar acknowledgement. Now's the time. Mm. Yeah, like <laughs> even if they just do it because I mean I still think minus one is easily probably the. Ooh, I don't know if I want to say that. I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, that's difficult. I'm trying to decide if it's the best VFX in the franchise or not. Help me out here, Rex. Is it is is Godzilla minus one the best uh, visual effects the franchise has had? Well, certainly the best digital effects the franchise has had outside of like maybe 2014, maybe. I'd say maybe 2014, but even then, I think 2014 would fall below it because 2014 doesn't. Uh, show off its VFX. I mean, yeah, but 2014 has aged pretty well. It has. It'll it'll end up being the film that ages the best out of the MonsterVerse Godzilla films. Yeah. I don't know. Out of the Japanese films, it's definitely the best v- digital effects. But anyways, where were we? Yes, yeah, so, you know, we, we've been talking a bit here about the MonsterVerse. Something else happened since our last recording. Oh, that was um, yeah, something rather unfortunate. Yeah, we got the we got a poster. We got oh, that was really unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> we got a poster and we got a trailer for the upcoming legendary and Warner Brothers film directed by Adam Mister Wingard, Godzilla X Kong: The New Empire. I'm gonna keep it real. That poster they managed He's... to one up GVK by having a bad. Initial poster, and I agree. Like it's so. How did they do it? Like GVK's poster is bland, but like the color palette's nice. It, it, I mean, it's that also makes it generic. But like, at least it feels like a real poster. This one, not so much. (laughs) 
I thought it was fan made at first. I'm I did honest. too. No, with how the uh, with how Kong's gauntlet is put on, I legitimately thought it was a fan made poster. Also, I just find it odd that they just put the GXK instead of like the actual just title. You know, <laughs> right? Well, so the decision. the posters that were at CCXP that people could get said Godzilla X Kong, but the one that has went online is the one that has GXK. Oh, okay, okay, that make that makes more sense then. But also to that point as well, what is with the renders? Like every and what's with the tagline? Rise together or fall apart. Fall alone, actually. Oh, it's fall alone. Oops. The I mean, the tagline's fine. No, it's not. Rise together or fall alone. Fine. I've heard worse. It it's garbage. I get the idea behind it. I'm gonna be honest. I don't really care enough for like a tagline. It sounds like a Fast and the Furious tagline. What do you expect from a movie with that trailer? I'm going to be honest here. Yeah, let's talk about the trailer. (laughs) I don't think I've been less excited for a movie with Godzilla ever. Yeah. Like, legitimately. I just watched it and I'm like, oh, that's Godzilla. Oh, that's the things from from the leak. Yeah, all the leaks. Oh. Now I know the entire plot of the movie and know that it's all true. How oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I okay, so we're what are the highlights from this this trailer? We have Kong has a gauntlet. What highlights. The stuff people are talking about. Uh, Kong has clearly gotten older. He's more gray. I do like that. I think that's a good idea. Sure. I like um Dan Stevens' hair. He's got good hair. It might be the best thing in the trailer. <laughs> Rebecca Hall's hair, on the other hand. Oh, know. God. <laughs> I couldn't even tell it was her. I, I was confused at first when I saw the set photos. I'm like, wait, is that meant to be? I had to, I had to legitimately like just move from my seat and get a closer look. <laughs> no, that looked awful. Um, Kong still has his axe. Now he has a gauntlet, like a mechanical, like glove mm. i mean i can't say i'm surprised by that i already kind of knew what it looked like <laughs> i mean we both knew what it looked like yeah godzilla's got a new design yeah i'll be honest i don't think i even had a reaction i was so like not impressed by it now before i keep going i don't care about the pink i don't care I think color is the last issue in this thing. Like, the pink is fine. I could live with pink. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't personally think it really vibes with this Godzilla. I don't think it really works with him, but whatever. My problem is the proportions. <laughs> I don't like how he still has the bulky, like, top, like, shoulders and, and chest and then he's got the skinny torso. Right. I'm not a fan of that. I hate his tail. I Oh yeah, I don't like the thagomizer on the tail. 
like granted we don't really see it in the trailer like this is the this is what i've been saying about godzilla and kong and adam wingard since gvk came out this is the most american godzilla is getting and this continues to happen i mean the whole last shot of the trailer like the big money shot of godzilla and kong like jumping up onto like the hollow earth ground and then just running towards something yeah this is certainly a hollywood movie Uh, now i'm gonna say this i don't care if godzilla runs that i don't care about it's everything about it outside of what they're doing physically that's the issue Mm. because it 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 looks like a a superhero movie yeah i mean it also just looks like a I, I, I don't know if I could really see this Godzilla running like that, you know? Right, because, I mean, Godzilla's running the MonsterVerse. Like, he, he yeah, ran like in I, King of the Monsters. Like, I'm fine with it in King of the Monsters. It looks fine in King of the Monsters. The GVK run, I'm not huge on the animation for it, but I can, I'm like, whatever overall with it. But this is very, like... They look like they're maybe like ten feet tall in this yes. trailer. The scale in this trailer is the biggest problem that this movie's gonna have because there is no scale. There's two shots in the trailer that make you think that they are larger than ten feet tall. And that's it. Yeah, I just was not impressed with really anything in the trailer. I'm like it it looks like a perfectly watchable movie, hopefully. The the I one just, thing I just didn't get anything out of it, and you know the fact that this trailer, how little of a presence Rebecca Hall, Chia, Bernie, and uh, Dan Stevens had in the trailer, is mm-hmm. is a bit of a sign to me that uh, these compelling characters are not going to be very well developed, or very compelling. That true. And that's that's a big thing, because Adam Wingard has said in an interview, like, oh, there's going to be an eight-minute sequence um, of the kaiju fighting. And it's I mean, like... It's, it's not necessarily just a fight, per se. It's just... I'm The implication I'm taking is it's just, like, eight-minute uninterrupted sequence of Kong, like, presumably in the Hollow Earth or something. Probably. Kind of like what happened when Kong first showed up in the Hollow Earth in GVK. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. Could be the best part of the movie, to be honest. Kong will probably... I'm, I'm sure Kong will be okay. Yeah, I mean, Wingard seems to know what he wants to do with Kong because... Wingard's fine with Kong. It's just the whole Godzilla thing. Like... <laughs> I I, okay. I don't care for this betrayal of Godzilla. There's there's two things I'm going to say. First, I'm going to jump off of what you were talking about. I totally agree with you. The lack of any human engagement or weight in the trailer tells me that they are just going to be exposition dumps. Yes, they're going to show up periodically. And they're just going to be trying to, quote, solve the problem, end quote. They're just going to be here to explain, whoa, Scar King, he's like ancient. 
or something. He's like Whoa. Kong, but an orangutan. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Oh, that's just Godzilla, but he's different. And the other thing I was going to say is, like, with Mecha Godzilla, you have that inheritive, like, okay, this is artificial life versus real life, right? Like, there's an attempt because of who the characters are, who you have. There's a metaphor, a meaning. Mm-hmm. This movie just looks like there's nothing in it. Like, legitimately nothing. It just looks like action and pretty visuals, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And before anybody says, well, Godzilla versus Megalon exists, the whole reason Megalon... Well, I disagree with that sentiment, but... Megalon, the only reason Megalon attacks is because America, well, I guess America, but like the the, the surface has been testing atomic bombs and it's causing problems under the earth. So they send their monster up to destroy what's destroying their civilization. So there is some metaphors there. The anti-nuclear messages are still there. Everything about what Godzilla is is still there. It's just not a very big part of the film. But they still establish it. Like, they go out of their way to make that the first thing they establish. Mm -hmm. This looks like there is nothing going on here. Like, there is... it, it legit. The only thing this that GXK, from what I can see, has going on for it is it's got a nice color palette. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it that. It looks like a decently colorful movie. That is the only thing I can compliment it on. <sighs> what is your opinion on the Scar King, as he's called? <sighs> the whole... This is going to... I guarantee you, like, fast forward a couple months, this is what I'm going to say about the movie. It's so bland... There's nothing in here that's interesting. And Scar King's the exact same way. He's just there. He's bland. There's nothing interesting to look at him. He looks ugly. He just looks like Kong, but larger, more limber, and a different color. <laughs> whoop de doo It's not interesting. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, I just don't care for Kong, but evil and red. <laughs> it's unnecessary. I just find it kind of lame. Bigger, it is. Big bad monkey is kind of lame villain for me. When you and I first found out about the villain of the film, we were both like, what? Please tell me this is not true. Can we get, like, the people from Toho to make a new monster? <laughs> you know? And, like, the name Scar King? Or oh, hell, even get the people that Michael Doherty was hiring to come up with monsters. Come on. I, I think the MonsterVerse blew its, its villain load way too early because now we're getting stupid original characters like this that 
bring nothing to the table. Mm, I don't know. I I just I just I cannot be. I don't think I can be excited for a big evil monkey whose name is Scar King. I'm gonna be honest here. Spelt with I'm... a K instead of a C for Scar. Huh? The word Scar is felt is spelt with a C, but Scar King. His name is officially spelt with a K in Scar. Oh, so he's like edgy. Yeah, it's like in it's like Mortal Kombat. Oh, I don't play Mortal Kombat, so I don't know really what that Mortal means. Mortal Kombat but... is spelt with a, the combat is spelt with a K. Oh, this is true. Yes. So cool. So cool. Not really. It's. It's boring. It's awful. He's like he's like the coolest thing to happen to GXK since since the announcement of the son of Kong, who also looks ugly. Wait, there were cool things in GXK. No, no, no. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Overall, really, though, like I'm not excited. Mm. I will be there day one. I will go see it two or three times. That's about it. Like, I I just, I don't care. I don't have enough care to go see the movie. I really don't. I mean, I will see the movie either way. I just, I don't know. My care is not there. I've yet to see anything that makes me genuinely excited to see this film. Yeah. Yeah. This trailer just kind of wasn't it for me. It was also just on top of that, a pretty generic trailer. Right. But with that, I think, uh, unless you have anything else, I don't think there's any other news really to bring up. Yeah, I don't know if I really want to stay on the topic of a dis- of what's going to be a disappointment. Oh, then you don't want to talk about me ever. Real. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, I guess we could move on to something else. Oh, yeah. It is winter time, so maybe we could talk about a... Well, not for me. Oh, that's right. You live in a weird world where everything's... I'm boiling alive. Yeah, everything's slipped for you. Well, in America, obviously the only place in the world, America, it's wintertime, which means it's Christmas time. And so, you know, because it's Christmas time and it's wintertime, we need to cover a movie that's kind of wintry or Christmassy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... Oh crap. So I did recently I did recently watch a little movie from the nineties. Are you familiar with a Mr. Sonny Chiba by any chance? I am. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Did you know that he in nineteen seventy he founded a group called the Japan Action Club? I did. They're the ones that basically made Super Sentai what it was. And Kamen Rider. This is true. Still working to this day on, say, Kamen Rider Gotchid, for example. Okay, okay. What are your thoughts on Hiroyuki Sonata? Based, peak exactly. cinema actor, amazing. I can't believe he wasn't in more of John Wick 4. I haven't even seen a single John Wick, so... You should change that. Eh, maybe one day. So, back to the topic at hand. The Japan Action Club... Sonny Chiba, Hiroyuki Sonata. Yeah. So in the 1990s, there might have been a little film made to perhaps celebrate their 20, the company's or club's 
20th anniversary. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, God, I'm so tired. Maybe? Yeah. Well, it's... See, its title is called Remains Beautiful Heroes in Japanese, but English... English releases, they tend to change change the words, you know? Right, right. So in the West, it's actually known as Yellow Fangs. Can you believe that that's the movie on our schedule today? Is it? Yes. Oh, crap. But yes, without beating around the bush, today we are covering 1990s Yellow Fangs. Directed by Sonny Chiba. And released February 10th, 1990. Hmm. Yes. So it's funny you you I mean obviously we're we're going to have to talk about the fact that this was the not the exact debut but basically I mean this was Sonny Chiba's first like big movie he directed. He directed one other title but I don't think it was like anything major. Um, I want to say he directed two titles and one of them was a bit was like in like the mid to late 2000s because it stars his son McKenyu. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think just before it, there was one title that he had directed. Yeah, no, legendary Japanese martial arts star Sonny Chiba (laughs) directed this little film. (laughs) And in terms of it, and speaking of uh, people associated with the Japan Action Club, the lead star is Hiroyuki Sonata, a rather well-renowned actor, possibly perhaps the most like well-known or at least most seen like Japanese film actor by modern audiences. I'd I'd say he's the most prolific Japanese actor in in the history of Japan. Yeah. I mean, he, he's literally in the, one of the Avengers. Yes. Like for one scene, uh, but he still took that scene and owned it like Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Sonata. Um, yeah, no, Sonata, whom you know, started off his career as a child actor working on a lot of Sonny Chiba's earlier films, would eventually j- become a member of Sonny Chiba's Japan Action Club and would thus star in this little film, which is was made in part to celebrate, or not in part, was just made to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Japan Action Club. Now, it is important to note that Sonata left the Japan Action Heroes the year before this film was made, but he did come back mm-hmm. to be a part of it. Right. Uh, two other actors that were in it and left but came back to do this was Bunta Sugawara, Sugawara mm-hmm. and Teru Kuosaki. Right. I mean, bear in mind, there are a decent few people in the Japan Action Club who weren't, like, official members of it, but they would still come and train every now and again and teach as well, I think, even. Yeah. Like, mainly just, like, already, like, well-known, well-regarded, like, martial artists, I believe. Now, it's also important to note that originally the film was not meant to be directed by Chiba. No, he originally approached Kenji Fukasaku, who has worked on many of Chiba's uh, films, including some of the films that we have previously covered this year, starring both him and Sonata, as well as other members of the Japan Action Club, like Esuko Shihoma. 
Right. And those two titles were Legend of Eight Samurai and Message from Space. Right. Now, Kenji Fukusaku, for anybody who doesn't know, is easily one of the most prolific Japanese directors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Fukusaku had the title of directing the most expensive Japanese film like three times. Um, he did Message from Space, Legend of Eight Samurai, uh, Virus, The Day of Destruction, and He's probably well known for the Battles Without Honor and Humanity series. And probably his most well known film in the States would be Battle Royale. Yes. The very controversial Battle Royale. Right. <laughs> Fukusaku, however, would end up being the assistant director directing the uh, B team for like side filming stuff that didn't need Chiba in the main cast. He would also uh, supervise. He was uh, credited as supervisor and planner, which basically means producer. Planning was kind of producing in, in Japan. Right. And I think it was either his, I want to say it was his assistant director or the cinematographer that he that he uh, got to work on this film as well. I think it was both. I think both, oh, both? did. Okay. I think yeah. so. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um. And a lot of the people that worked on this film were, like, doing this as, like, a favor for Chiba. Um, I mean, when you have been working in the film industry, I mean, Sonny Chiba, by this point, had been in the film industry for 30 years? Yeah. Yeah, because he started uh, early 60s. Yeah, he was in, like, early, mid-60s, yeah. Or late 50s. Late 50s, it was. Oh, damn, even... Jesus. Yeah. Oh yeah. So he was he was getting close to 40 years in the film industry. Um he had made good friends over at Toei, especially Toei, um Katakawa, um and like he he I mean he made the rounds, he knew a lot of people, he worked with a ton of people and being friends with Kenji Fukusaku basically gave him an in on all of the like like most expensive people because Fukusaku like I said was known for doing the most expensive films in Japan at the time right so a lot of the people that ended up working on this film were doing this as kind of a favor or out of just like friend like like being friends with Sonny Chiba and whatnot um, Sonny Chiba would actually put in his own money to uh, help pay for the production um, for the film. And this is this is an interesting film to consider being the 20th anniversary film for uh, Japan action heroes. Yeah, for, for a film uh, for, yeah, Japan Action Club, like 20th anniversary like film you'd think it'd be a bit more of a martial arts film <laughs> right so with that being said do we want to do, do you have anything else you want to bring up about like the pre-production process or anything like that before we talk about this film no no okay then i'm gonna let you take the lead here and we're gonna talk about this surprisingly long movie Okay, so this begin. This film begins with um, some text explaining to us that 
this film, Yellow Fangs, is actually based off a real event which took place in Hokkaido uh, in December of 1950. Uh, 15, sorry. Though it, though it doesn't really state what the event was, this was known, this is known as the Sen, Sankebetsu Brown Bear Incident. It's funny. We're recording this, I kid you not, on its anniversary. Oh, God, that's true. Yeah, because didn't this take place from like nine? December 9th to December 14th. And we're recording on the 9th. Isn't that funny? That's and and like to like exact day because you're you're it's the 9th for you. Not anymore. That means it's. (laughs) (laughs) But technically it would still be in Japan. Oh, so yeah. For like 10 more minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, the incident occurred December 9th through December 14th of 1915. It has been quoted as the worst bear attack in Japan's history. Mm. It occurred in the Tomame district of Hokkaido. A brown bear was seen around the area in early November. We're talking like the second week in November. And then on November 30th, After the bear had been seen multiple times, countermeasures were put in place to kill the bear, and they ended up wounding it, but they didn't kill it. On December 9th of 1915, Mikio Hasumi, a six-year-old child, was found all over the place inside of his adopted parents' home. The adopted mother... Mayu Abe was missing. The following day on December 10th, a search party went out looking for Abe. All they found were remains in tattered clothing. The search party eventually found the brown bear and tried to kill it. They were unsuccessful. Later that day, during the wake, for both Mikio and Mayu. This occurred in the building that they found the six-year-old boy tattered and torn in. Now, an interesting thing about bears. Bears will leave food at where they hunted it, where they killed it. They'll leave it there and come back for it. So during the funeral, the bear returned to the house and wrecked the place. The people attending, there was only nine of them, ran in terror. And eventually, word got out of the bear being back. Later that night, I want to say it's about 20 kilometers north or south. I don't remember the exact distance. But the bear entered the house of the Mayokages. These were the following people in the house. Yasutaro Mayokage, who was the husband and father. Yeo Miyokage, the wife or, and mother. Rikizo Mayokage. Yujiro Mayokage. Hisano Miyokage, six-year-old daughter. Kinzo Miyokage, three-year-old son. Umekichi Miyokage, one-year-old son. There was also the another person, a pregnant wife, the wife of Ishigoro Saito, 
his wife's name, Take Saito, and then the six-year-old son, Iwayo Sato, and another son, Haruyoshi Saito. There was also a servant or a man keeper, man helper. The translations were a little shoddy at best, um, but he essentially was there to help, you know, do stuff. He was basically he, he, a manservant, basically. Mm-hmm. Nagamatsu Yokichi. The bear attacked the house, and the following occurred. Yayo Mayokage, the wife, was injured. Umikichi Mayokage, who was with his mother at the time, was injured. Nagamatsu Yokichi, the male servant, tried to get away, but also distract the bear and was injured. Kinzo Miyokage, the three-year-old son, was killed. Takai Saito, the pregnant wife, was killed, and her fetus was pulled out of her body. Mm. Iwayo Sato, Saito, the six-year-old son, was killed, and Haruyoshi Saito, another son, was killed. And wasn't this all also like... Because when it happened, when the bear like burst through, I want to say it burst through the walls from what I yes. read, like it blew out all the lights in their house mm-hmm. or in the building. So they ju- so it was complete darkness as the bear attacked. And like when the bear killed the pregnant woman, she was like, ple- according to witnesses, she was just pleading for the bear to like spare like her womb. Yes. Hmm. Which did not happen. Yeah. Um, Kinzo Miyokage tried to hide, but was found um, and killed. Rikizo Miyokage, I believe, hid in one of the food pantries and survived. And then Yujiro Miyokage, like, straight up passed, or no, it was uh, Haisano Miyokage passed out just like fainted and was fine. And I think Yujiro Miyokage was not present or if he was, he hid and he survived. Mm. Following this, the area was evacuated. The police devised a plan to lure the bear out using the Miyokage's house and the bodies that rested inside as bait. When the bear arrived, the bear knew something was up and just circled the building and left. On December 13th, the 28th Infantry Regiment mobilized and started planning a solution to kill the bear. The bear was spotted, but they were unable to kill it. The following day, on December 14th, bloody footprints were found, and a person by the name of Hekechi Yamamoto went searching for this wounded creature. He found the bear and shot it near the heart. The bear didn't fall. A second bullet went into the head and killed the bear. Following the death of the bear, a great blizzard engulfed the village after three sunny days. And with that, the Sankei-Batsu incident was over. The same year that Yellow Things came out, fun fact, a reconstruction site was established to honor the incident and the people who lost their lives. 
And knowing the story now, this film doesn't do anything remotely close to the original. No, problem. not really. No, no, no. It's 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 def it's very much a uh, loose adaptation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, with that little uh, introduction for listeners, yeah, our film. Our film opens with just some establishing shots of the mountains before slowly zooming in on and approaching a house in a what appears to be a POV shot of something entering the house. The the woman uh, of the house sleeping with her husband wakes up to notice strange noises and the animals are acting in uh, a rather strange manner with a horse of the house even just bursting through the wall to try and run away. And suddenly through the door, the bear attacks. I and love how they treat the bear like a 1980s like horror character. Oh, yeah. Because that, that, that happens throughout this film. Oh, yeah. this The way the bear is approached throughout pretty much the entire film is... Very, very, not quite Jaws, but Jaws-esque. It's a similar style where the bear is is very much not shown a lot, uh, bar like a couple scenes um, in the, before the movie flashes back later on. Mm-hmm. Um, when the hunters are chasing the bear, there's a scene where it's shown like pretty clearly but for like most of the rest of the movie it's like hit the a lot of the scare scenes with a bear don't really show it until like the payoff of the scene right and so it is worthy Jaws-esque in that approach right and it's also worthy to note that the way they brought the bear to life is they they did film some actual footage of some bears roaming uh right there was two bears and they usually shot footage which you can tell when it's the real bear and when it's not the real bear. <laughs> right. And the not real bear is a man in a suit. Um, yeah. Traditional Japanese tokusatsu effects. And, you know, I, I'd say Jaws is a good example. Grizzly's another one. I'd say Grizzly's a good example. Um, Admittedly, haven't seen it. But what's more interesting is I would also put the whale god as another example of this, um, which I'll talk about when we get to the end here. But uh, this, I, I, I do love the POV shots. I think that's a good way to add some much-needed horror to this. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the scene ends fairly brutally with the yeah, the bear near fatally injuring the man and then just just lifting the whole woman up with just his bare jaws. <laughs> right, and doesn't he grab her, is it by like the shoulder, if I'm remember, remembering correctly? Yeah, yeah, like shoulder neck area pretty much. And the bear just like viciously drags her away. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason for this, and this is where kind of the adaptation, I guess, comes from. So 
1915, most of the victims were women. Well, not, I guess there's a lot of sons that were killed. Um, but the adults that were, you know, killed were women. And right. so that's where the film takes some influence from is the f- idea of the women are the ones in trouble because our bear in yellow fangs does go after primarily women only attacking men when they're around. Yeah. yeah. And when the, the villages of this sort of area eventually go looking for the corpse of the, of the woman who gets attacked in this opening scene, when they eventually find her remains, most of it is just scraps of her clothes, much like similar to the real incident. Right. Which this is where we get kind of our first good example of the music used in the film, which for the most part is pretty atmospheric and adds a sense of that horror that adds a sense of that like mystery or that it's more of a cheaper sense um something that you wouldn't really get outside of a cheap horror movie from the 1980s but it does work um until a little later i actually quite like the the score for this film for the most part there's some tracks in here that just remind me straight up of of garo (laughs) like you won't know what I'm referencing, but when you eventually watch Garo, there are these characters called the Watchdogs in Garo, mm-hmm. and like the theme of their location, like whenever Koga goes to visit them, sounds very similar to some of the music played in like this the early part of this film. Interesting. See, I like the the music in the early part. Um, mm. There's really only one track I thought that really didn't fit, and that's at the very end of the film. Is it uh, the credit song? <laughs> no, actually. Okay. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> that but song no, was I, written by Sonata. It was. Yes. Uh, but no, the uh, the music, I think, helps add a sense of mystery and un, unsettle, unsettles the audience. I mean, it is from a rather, rather well-regarded composer, especially in... Yeah, Tokusatsu and Kaiju fandom specifically. (laughs) What do you mean by that? The music is by Ko Otani. Is it? Yes. Because what I was reading was Sonata was the music director. is credited as music director, but Ko Otani is also credited in the film for music. Oh. I was a bit confused at first as well. Well, that clarifies that. I don't entirely understand what music director specifically entailed for Sonata, but I do know he wrote some of the lyrics for the song uh, played in the credits of the film, and that's about all I know for that. Interesting, because the the sources I were reading were like, this was Sonata's first uh, music it was the first film that Sonata composed music for, and it was his only one. From what I could read of the credits, I'm pretty sure Otani is credited as composer. I mean, he is here when I when I pulled it I know up. He, he is, I know he is. He's definitely credited for the song, like the end credit song. He's definitely credited for that. I remember like specifically seeing his name there. 
<laughs> but yeah, regardless, the the uh, group of villagers eventually stumble upon the bear eating the corpse of this woman. With a very effective visual, with it just being the hand of her moving around with the sounds of the bear eating her. Right. They try shooting at the bear, but it eventually gives chase until until a group of matagi, matagi, until a group of matagi, which are just basically just ja- uh, traditional Japanese uh, winter hunters, start to shoot at it and scare the beast off. Now, this is where they go on a bit of a chase, if I remember correctly. They start chasing yeah. and trying to, to hunt down this this bear. Yeah, they track the bear, slide down a few mountains. <laughs> Which, the on-location filming is beautiful. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was filmed in Hokkaido, around the Niseko area. Mm-hmm. And it is it is beautiful. I, I love the on on location filming. Oh yeah. And this film just generally looks fairly nice, all things considered. For the most part. Um but yeah. They they attempt to kill the bear, but their attempts proves unsuccessful. But in the middle of this attempt actually a dog suddenly appears and attacks the bear in what might have at one point one shot been the real bear? fighting a husky yeah so before before we talk about the insanity that you are talking about they do insinuate in the film that the bear was walking backwards oh yeah and outsmarting them so like obviously there's a i'm smarter than the average bear yeah. <laughs> but the way they give the bear a sense of is this thing supernatural is kind of cool. Like there's no way a wild animal would walk backwards to like confuse hunters. So the fact that they and like the, they give the bear kind of those weird supernaturalist powers at points. Um it's very interesting to see the animal have you know, the horror movie powers and to have a level of intelligence. That's very scary to see. Um, Mm. and I think that helps add a sense of fear to what we are watching, right? Because now the bear, not only is it a, a larger than the average size bear, which just as a quick side note, the bear that it, was going oh, on God, the rampage like 2.7 meters or something yes which is actually below the largest average the average height for a brown bear is 1 to 2.8 meters tall so the fact is 2.7 it's on the larger end still but it was still in the range for your average sized bears i mean compared to a person that's still absolutely gigantic <laughs> this is true this is very true but going back to the whole dog thing, because that, like, I, I, my note was, where did the dog come from? Because the dog, like, comes out of, like, midair. Yeah. 
And it does look like the dog literally is getting thrown onto an actual bear. Yeah. (laughs) There's a couple shots in this movie where they are like either manhandling or the tossing the the dog. And it's like, what are we? Chiba, we love you, Chiba, but uh, don't 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 kill that. Don't don't harm that beautiful husky. Because that husky is such a good boy for like the for the entire movie. I was so the 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 dog and the bear fight, and then like the dog gets bloodied. Yeah, and like it, I was I was so worried they were going to kill the dog off immediately. Like the dog just came out of nowhere, and like was just going to get murdered by this bear. Right. But thankfully, before Sonata even has a chance to shoot at the bear, um, Sonata, for the record, is one of the uh, one of the hunters. Suddenly, a another individual appears and shoots at the bear. Now, don't we get? There's some interesting editing here too, if I remember correctly, because it's really fast paced, and I think isn't there a freeze frame as well? Oh yeah, there's like a. There's like a moment, it's not this scene, it was a little earlier when the hunters like first appear and you get a shot, you get shots of all of them that just have a really bizarre freeze frame at the end. And see, throughout this film, there's some interesting choices with the editing. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that's their attempt at making it more action-y because it's all very fast paced. It's, it's, it makes sense for why for putting it into the context of oh this is the action japan action club right like it it's being edited like it's a martial arts movie mm. but there's no it's martial arts not being a martial arts movie at all so it's it makes a, it's an animal horror movie <laughs> right so it makes this very like jarring visual motif Mm. because we have these fast paced edits and, and these cuts and it's just with people standing around pointing a gun. But I will say one strength of having, yeah, this film being directed by a martial arts, you know, an action, an action guy Sonny Chiba knows how to build suspense in this movie. <laughs> I don't think I would agree. I, I think there's genuinely some really effective moments in this film. See, I... I actually, no. No, I, 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 would, I would have to disagree. I, I, think I, so. I think there's some effective scenes in the film. Okay. Do you want to talk about that now, or are you going to highlight them as we go through the film? Um, Because I'm genuinely curious, because I'll be honest, I don't think this film has a lot going for it. So Okay. Well, let's just quickly get to the first scene that I think is, that I really was surprised by. It's just... So after Hiroyuki Sonata realizes that this woman who attacks the bear, which is revealed not to be the main culprit bear, 
named Red Spots. After Hiroyuki Sonata realizes who this person is, a woman from his past named Yuki, we then get an almost hour long flashback sequence the the entire the entire like main part of the film yeah pretty much all in more than half of a runtime is yeah a flashback (laughs) which spring of the previous year and real quick i i do think it's interesting that they are going about telling the story like this Mm. um i think it's odd but i I, I thought it was odd and I was kind of questioning why, but I think my best guess for the reasoning behind this decision is just so you can get like a scene, a very uh, quick scene with the bear at the beginning, like uh, as your opening scene. That's my guess. As to Maybe. I'm not but you entirely. Go on. You would have still had the bear show up within five minutes because in the flashback sequence we get, well, it's I mean, we like don't see 10, the bear. 15 minutes. Is it? Yeah, it's like 15 minutes. Oh, that's before. right. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. The way I looked at it was you had your opening hook, right? And then they want to explain the hook. So that's why they go back. And unlike most films that only do like maybe a 20-minute flashback sequence at most. This is... half the runtime (laughs) right which i agree it's a weird choice and it ends up throwing i think it throws the film through a weird limbo of pacing Mm -hmm. because we start off pretty quick and then it almost feels like we stop and we just get exposition for an hour and a half or an hour and then we jump back into it and the the pacing of the rest of the film is quick, which is weird. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of that. I, I, it's, it makes me wait too long to get answers. I already have. It just clarifies it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like the whole, the whole story is clarified more because of how they go about explaining everything. But yeah, essentially during this flashback sequence, we see, Hiroyuki Sanada's character, Eiji, meeting up with Yuki, whom is returning to her to her village um, after about, I want to say it was two years since she had uh, last been in the area, I want to say is what the dialogue said. Yes, she was sent off to go work. Yeah. And while she was working... She had enough of her employer's son, and she made some decisions and got kicked out. Mm -hmm. And to the dismay, the absolute dismay of her father, she comes back home. (laughs) Yeah, her father was really grumpy, like really angry. He's just so mean. <laughs> I was kind of taken back by how like aggressive he was. Yeah. Um, and I I guess it's because he didn't want a daughter? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what's suggested. Which but, like, that's he does a- have a son anyways. Right. Um I mean, it's an interesting thing that like this character Yuki, yeah, it with her like 
father wanting a son and with you know her actions later in the film going against like the social grain in sort of like a modern context you could perhaps like look at it as like i guess some would say like a deconstruction of gender norms is how be worded i i don't know if that's really what the film is trying to go for but like she i wouldn't like she does kind of fit into that sort of bracket if you will yeah of characters but she also has to change herself to be a boy right like she has to go through a transformation she has to cut her hair change what she wears so people think she's a boy, as they say in the film. Right. So that she can do this stuff without getting criticized. It's not like an, a Ripley, which I'm sure you, you'll appreciate this. It's not like Ripley, who is still very much feminine, but Ripley is still, you know, taking the lead, taking charge, being what some people would say should be the guy or the, the male character. You know, she's, she's taking that leading position that some people would put as, you know, your Arnold Schwarzenegger, your, your action heroes, right? Right, right, yeah. Ripley, Ripley is not your quote-unquote traditional action hero. And so that's kind of what it, it would, it kind of seems like they're trying to do but they right, but the movie also kind of just falls into the trope of having her just be the love interest as well. Yeah. And it, the and film... it honestly is weird. It feels like Yuki is meant to be the protagonist. But the film is overall from Sin- the perspective of Sonata's character, Eiji. Right. Which is an odd way to frame the story given just how personal this is for yuki specifically right because what happens and and this is where it really became like obvious that it was personal so her dad kicks her out disowns her mm-hmm. sonata takes her back to his house with his mother they have dinner and she's staying there and then the dog shows back up. Right. Which the, the dog, dog is, is bloodied. Yes, and the dog is supernatural because there is no way a dog can take that much of a beating and like <laughs> do all of that. But he's uh, a good boy. He he, he has the power of plot convenience too, so Hey, he's a good boy. All good boys deserve plot convenience. <laughs> and he, he <laughs> takes Sonata and Yuki, um Eiji and Su- uh Yuki back to her house. Yeah, as this as this effectively eerie music plays in the background to just si- otherwise silence. And we find out that a bear has killed her mother, her father, and her little brother. You can kind of see the influence from the actual events there a little bit. Uh, yeah. And so this is essentially a revenge story. Yeah. Um. Which and yet Yuki is not our protagonist. <laughs> right. And that's the weird. So like talking about the whale God, the 1961, uh, 1962 Dae film. The, the beginning of that film has our main character, Shaki. His, I want to say it's his brother, his dad, his, and his brother, or it's his dad and his grandfather die 
from the whale god. So he has to take revenge on the whale god and kill the whale god to reclaim his glory, um, reclaim that honor, right? Which is kind of what they're trying to do here, but she isn't the main character. She doesn't. No. She doesn't even really get the final blow. Spoiler alert. She doesn't really get the final blow. It's a weird case of sidelining who is essentially the main character for the more prominent actor. Because right. at the time, the actress who played her was still very new. She had only I done, mean, I want to say. Her, this, was, this film has a, gives her an introducing credit. She has one credit prior to this. I don't know if it was like a supporting role or what, but this was her first like major role. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, literally really... below her name is the kanji for like new person, new actor or something. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would say if it wasn't for the fact that they have Sonata playing the other main character she would have been the main character but because you have an actor it's her story but yeah which from time to time you do see stories like this and a lot of times i think that those are impacted because of who they cast right mm -hmm. when you have sonata especially by this point by this point in the 90s sonata had already had roughly 20 years mm -hmm. of consistent acting under his belt and he was popular with women. He was popular in general. I mean, this God, was... not even not even twenty years. More like like at least thirty, given he was working it since That's like true. a child. That's true. So with Sonata <laughs> by by this point, Sonata was well established and well seasoned, very experienced. Yeah, compared um, to this new actress, right? So when you cast this star like Sonata you're not going to give him a minor role. Unless yeah, especially you're... in your Japan Action Club's anniversary film. Right. So I do wonder if initially the plan was to have Yuki be the main character, but once they knew Sonata was going to be playing the love interest, they decided to change it, change mm. those perspectives change that story i i don't know i have nothing to back this up but i can't help but wonder if they had to do something like that because of who they got yeah because that, film... that bit of speculation raises a question to me like what what would this film been have potentially been like if they hired like a more famous actress for the role like say japan action clubs etsuko shihoma in the role would mm -hmm. this film have a just actually focus on its female character as this story seemingly should be focusing on or would they still have this male love interest as the lead instead right and i i really think it would benefit from that because this film does suffer from a lack of to me what feels like the the ending that it should be. Mm. Um, it is a revenge story, but the person who's seeking the revenge does not get the final blow. And throughout right. the film, while this appears to be a, a way to tear down gender 
like specific roles because of Sonata's presence and Sonata's character, they often play Yuki as a more fragile and weak character. Right. And I'm not sold. And the whole reason we have the flashback isn't for Sonata's character. I I was genuinely like, I'm not kidding. Half a runtime. I was wondering, is this movie going to end the exact same way as Gappa did? (laughs) <laughs> I was legitimately wondering if there was going to be a line where Yuki just says to the says to Sonata, "I'm going to accept my role as a as a housewife." <laughs> so while it doesn't do that, it still falls into a similar trope near the end, where spoilers, you know, the two fall in love and kiss. Right, and that was something that was building up. Like you could tell from yeah. the first moment they saw, like that was. That was the idea. That like, was it's the... not egregious, I'd say. Like, Gappa is a far, far worse <laughs> example, like, of that issue mm-hmm. in, like, films. Far, far worse than this is in any way. <laughs> um, but still, it yeah, it's just very odd. That Yuki should be the protagonist. She's the more developed character out of our two leads right and it just i don't know there's something about this that just doesn't it really doesn't work it, from a narrative standpoint the way they approach this just does not work mm, yeah but regardless after the death of yuki's family and a failed attempt at searching for the bear a funeral and wake procession is held for the family and following this a group of matagi the winter hunters band together and decide to hunt the bear these of course being the same hunters from the beginning of the movie including sonata and this is where yuki begs to begs to join join them them. but because she is a woman she's not allowed to be a hunter Mm -hmm. but eventually when they do go hunting for the bear they spot yuki disobeying their orders and just going on on her own to hunt the bear going against their whole honor code which they start to chase her and whatnot but i also this is this is what was going through my head at this time i was like why don't they just like disown her or just cast her out i mean they threaten to do they threaten her with that right but they don't do it Mm. i mean i guess it's all just that like, I mean, Sonata's in love with her, and the rest are all just sympathetic for her. So why are they, like... I, I don't know. It just it felt weird that they would be chasing after her. It was like, are you guys, like, on her side? Or what are we trying to do here? Like, what 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 is the end goal? Because I mean, it to does... be fair, it is mainly Sonata who True, goes after but, her. But the other characters seem to pivot on whether they want to stop her or they want to let her be to do her thing Mm. but yeah sonata tries to stop her but the two end up engaging in a fight um essentially destroying her uh trust and faith in sonata as she runs away after accidentally cutting his hand 
Sonata also like tosses the dog. Like yeah, that too. Like yeah, <laughs> I was like, what? Like, there's no way that did not actually hurt that dog. Mm. And this was made in 1990. Yeah, <laughs> by like people who like were not just nobodies. Right. Yeah, this isn't like Friday the 13th where just a bunch of nobodies are killing snakes on set. It was it was so I don't know if maybe uncomfortable. Yeah, I'd say uncomfortable like just seeing that and like knowing the context of when this film took place. I mean, I to be to be honest, I'd rather see someone like Sonata throwing a dog and being able to like presume that you know maybe he's trying to throw it the safest way he can compared to seeing a dog fight a real bear this is now true in the film for like a shot or two that's true that's true <laughs> eventually yeah yuki runs off eventually a few days later sonata's character ag has a um discussion with the leader of this group of hunters Previously, it had been a set, there was a established um, love triangle um, element with you know Sonata obviously being in love with Yuki, but there was also another girl named Mitsu, who very clearly was in love with Sonata, and Yuki very much picked up on that and tried to tell Sonata to just fall in love and marry her. Which, in a film like this, that obviously is not gonna not gonna fly, right? And then a bunch of uh, just government officials like show up to the village. <laughs> right. And they bring up how there was, they're here to find a poacher who killed a bird while they were traveling. Yeah. And they suspected as one of the bear hunters that is in the village. Yes. Which they're correct, as this is revealed to be Yuki. But an interesting thing that is mentioned during the sequence is the... And I, I want to say this was meant to be something bigger. And it probably has something to do with the background of the inspiration for this film. Mm. The government officials say that the town is old-fashioned and that they should give up being bear hunters... And go work for the coal mines. Later on, we see the coal mines. Well, we see it throughout the film. Them right, yeah, up. even earlier on. Um, like at the beginning of this flashback scene, that's Yuki and Sonata arriving back in the town. Now, during one of the sequences, we do see that a deer is killed in the yes. blast and they're taking it and eating it. Now, in my research about the original incident, it was theorized that the reason for why the bear attacked was due to the increase of deforestation bringing bears closer to humanity caused the bear to go after humans because its environment now had to include the humans and their houses. So perhaps... This has to do with that, perhaps behind all the curtains, while never established, the film is implying that the coal mine company 
is the reason the bear is out to kill people. And I mean, it definitely does feel like the film is trying to like establish a small environmental fame with these scenes. Right. Especially with the death of the deer, because the way the camera work is in that scene and the acting from Sonata, you can definitely tell they're also trying just to... how unlikable, like all of the like mm-hmm. officials are that are involved in like this. Right, because they're all very snotty and very right, right, careless with what their actions are, which I don't think it lands. I really don't. I, I it's just it's in the background. It's just kind of underdeveloped and a little little out of place for the film if if maybe it kind of actually went somewhere later on then maybe it could have worked but like as is the film just kind of doesn't do much with this idea right and i think part of the issue with that is they're trying really hard to build up the love story and just throw exposition out during the whole flashback sequence that everything else takes a back seat which creates problems thematically and metaphorically throughout the film i think and and we've talked about them with the uh, gender norms situation and now with the environmental thing both of those are not well established because they're focusing on the love story aspect right which even that feels underdeveloped Speaking of which, after these, after these few scenes, Sonata eventually comes across Meru, the husky, whom whom gets his attention to um, get him to essentially save Yuki, who's fallen down a cliff. Which this also feels very uh, out of pocket and just like a side problem that Sonata is supposed to fix very yeah. quickly. <laughs> it also it it does create some nice cinematography shots with the on on location filming with Sonata going down a cliff and whatnot. Some of that action stuff that you would expect for a 20th anniversary action heroes club. Mm-hmm. But all the while still being very absent from the film. But he does rescue her and nurses her back to back to better health tries tries convincing her to just return to normal life everyone's worried about you we're going to kill the bear for you and all that sort of uh spiel but she understandably because of how personal this is won't listen (laughs) right this is the revenge story that doesn't end with the revenge being really solved by said person right and then we transition to a dream sequence of the bear attacking uh their little hut which i do have to say i think this is very effective oh yeah um, oh yeah the camera work the lighting the lightning it's good the stuff. sound design as well yeah i will say the bear suit in this film not the greatest if i'm being honest here See, I feel like, honestly, if if we're talking issues with the film, I'd say the bear suit's probably one of the least 
problematic like aspects. It it does its job, but I feel like it was a wise choice on on either Chiba's end or the editor's end to like not really have a lot of shots with the bear suit linger for very long. Yeah. They're very quick with the edits, which, you know, again, it's in for action veterans that's that's pretty you know standard very quick fast-paced editing and i think that helps i think that helps this film a lot during those shots it adds a sense of intensity to those sequences that otherwise would be kind of bland because bears aren't very fast creatures right unless they want to be and then they'll you know hunt you down and murder you but yeah bears on cocaine man (laughs) now following this we return to the village if i recall correctly well after this sonata wakes up to find that yuki has actually just left and then our group of hunters go go uh looking for they just kind of they meet this uh shop owner and and ask her uh, ask him about a few things eventually learning that yuki had visited the place pretending to be a man. And this is essentially, this scene is essentially here just to establish uh, our victims in the very next scene. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, and once again, the bear becomes the horror character from the 80s because this is probably my favorite kill in this movie as well. Right. Should Um, also mention this is in the middle of like a festival in like the village they're in. Right. So why don't you explain exactly what happens here? So as the as the villagers are uh, celebrating at the festival, the shop owner uh, try tries getting the attention of his wife, but notices her behind the. Uh, it's not a window. What do you call like that? It's a wall, but it's made yeah, out of paper. Yeah, like the thin paper wall. I don't know what the I don't know there's I'm sure there's a specific word for it I just don't know what it is but you just see her silhouette behind it just grabbing at it in an odd way and then her hands her bloody hands burst through and then the whole door bursts down or is thrown down and the bear the bear is just grabbed onto her killing her <laughs> right and then from here the bear kind of goes off and I guess you could say rampages the village. Yes, um, a small little rampage of sorts. The bear runs around um carrying her in in its mouth. Um there's some nice POV shots. There's some I I I think the the dragging of the dead body is very unsettling and and very effective in this scene. Mm. Um, I mean I also just love like how that how the scene starts with like a silhouette and then just her hands bursting through the wall bloodied i i think that is a i think that's really cool right it's it feels like they took a page out of like a friday the 13th kill or something god i don't know if a friday the 13th series would be that creative (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe nightmare on elm street maybe nightmare on elm street too i i haven't I haven't watched the Nightmare on Elm Street movie, so I I don't know what those... You should. They're really good. Uh, Some of them. The first one is very good. (laughs) 
And Freddy vs. Jason. Incredible movie. I'm sure. <laughs> now, the bear eventually runs off with the wife in its mouth still. Yeah. <laughs> and our group of hunters go after the bear. Hmm. But eventually all they find are her tattered clothes and hair. The husband of the wife, of course, is crestfallen. And from here, if I the remember correctly... The bear is not seen for another year. Right. And then we cut back to the present. Now, keep in mind, this means we've been... Now we're in like the, an hour in... flashback yeah. for about 50 or so minutes. Plus the 20 minutes of establishment prior to... So we're over halfway through the film. Yeah, yeah, because the flashback starts at around like the 20... 20, 21 minute mark and then it ends at the hour 15 mark and this is an hour and 47 minutes long so we have about 30 minutes left yeah by this point nothing really has happened to move the plot from where we started <laughs> the only the only thing that i can see from the flashback that's worth acknowledging is Ag and Yuki's relationship. That and also just the the backstory for Yuki as well. Yeah, but the backstory is established within ten minutes. Like you, mm -hmm. you could you could 15. easily fifteen. Okay, I'll give you fifteen. But you don't like this film is like thirty minutes way too long. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that that was definitely one thing I was gonna say a bit later is that this film. I'll give it this. I wasn't bored f for the runtime, but I feel like, but it definitely goes on for too long. Mm -hmm. for how simple this story is. Right. I remember when you, when you first looked at the film and it's runtime, your, your initial reaction was, Oh wow, this is almost two hours long. <laughs> and it I mean, should not I didn't be. know. I didn't know what the film was even really about outside of kill a bear. Right, but but it still should not be two hours long. No, no, no. This is... Maybe 90 minutes. Yeah, 90 minutes, I feel, is a good runtime for this film. Hour 40 at absolute most. Right. But even then, for this film, sorry, I'd say that's pushing it. Mm -hmm. That's pushing it by about five, ten minutes, I'd say. Yeah. Now we jump, you know, we're back to the present in air quotes. This whole film takes place in 1915. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but from here we're basically put into a nighttime sequence. Right, yeah, because after the whole bit at the beginning of the movie, um, set in the present, the hunters return to the village as it's being evacuated. And everybody's going crazy. Um, Eventually, Sonata stumbles upon Yuki again, helping nurse Meru, the husky, back to good health. Which, there's a lot of shots during this nighttime sequence that are very nice. I, 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 li I do, the cinematography is very nice. The framing of how everything is, I think, works very well. Right, and it, and I think it really works for a lot of the horror scenes, too. Like, just seeing, like, the... Like the there's some really effective visuals, um, like when the when Yuki first like returns home 
to see like the corpses of her parents. Right. Or like the it's it's just the contrast uh between like the dark spots and the fairly bright red blood. It it just stands out really well. Mm-hmm. Now speaking of standing out very well, once again, same plot. Yuki eventually leaves. Mm-hmm. And Sonata continues on his perilous journey to get with the woman he loves. Right. Which the is hunters now... all decide to split up and hunt the bear by them by their lo- lonesomes. And we get a weird montage here with some zoom, some camera zooms, and some rock music. <laughs> Yeah, and this is, yeah this that is, was odd. That the, I'll, I'll agree. That music choice was very odd. I I was like, I, I don't understand your music direction, Sonata. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, okay, this this is very 80s, but it also doesn't match up with anything that's played yet. Right. I mean, there there is a little bit of. I thought the music when they start sliding down the uh the hill near the beginning of the movie was a bit odd <laughs> as well yeah which speaking of which i do i think that's really cool like the whole like instead of walking down the hill they just slide down i think that's really oh cool. yeah i like that i'm <laughs> sure that's something they actually do too because i'm like that just looks very productive that looks very helpful efficient yeah waste less energy i'd imagine mm-hmm. now sonata eventually finds yuki again yeah, Sonata tries using um a bunch of like uh kimono parts of of kimono dresses, and doesn't he also use like the he uses the scent of them? I believe yes, in an attempt to lure the bear. Yes, none of which works, and then Yuki shows up with the exact same idea, except she just takes off all of her clothes. Yeah. <laughs> And the bear comes running. Oh, naughty, naughty bear. I was like, wow. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure Sonata's character's loving it, but. (laughs) Also, wouldn't it be really cold? Oh, no. I'm the whole time. I'm like, how are you not freezing? Like, there's literal snow on the ground. Like, this is below 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Like, Sonata's. Sonata's covered head to toe in multiple layers. She was covered head to toe in multiple layers previously. And now she's just covered in a thin layer on two of her parts of her body. Yeah. (laughs) And then the bear becomes the horror character we all know that it wants to be because it starts, like, circling this hut and just breaking, like... clawing at certain parts like breaking a portion of the wall and like clawing for for yuki or like following yuki um even even jumping on the roof as well falling down into the into the hut which at this point this is basically a a tiny monster just a tiny crazy monster yeah it's just it's just an animal horror movie that's there's not a lot to this movie (laughs) <laughs> and it's also worthy to note that the bear did get one nice hit on Yuki. Um, her whole yeah. arm is scratched up. Oh yeah, 
but once the bear's down there, he he struggle. He gets up and he he goes after Yuki, but Sonata grabs the spear and maneuvers his way around to stab the bear in the heart. Yeah, and the two, both Sonata and Yuki, uh, grab hold the spear together and just yeah push it for his heart, as he said. And then the whole hut comes tumbling down. Sonata looks for Yuki because he can't find her. Thanks to the dog, they find her. Everything's good. And the two kiss. And then music. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, at the end of this film, they they do pull a whale god. They talk about um, some important aspects, because in in Japanese culture, when you would hunt... um, Buddhists, monks especially, did not like the idea of hunting animals and killing animals and whatnot. So they made up these stories and legends of uh, about how they would, you know, become gods or they would curse people and whatnot, um, add a little bit of a supernatural aspect to them. And mm. at the end yeah, here, with they... the, bear, the bear red spots, his blood just starts like causing the snow to steam. And so they kind of allude to Red Spots is becoming the bear god. <laughs> um, it's it's a very Japanese ending, which is something I, I, I definitely expected. Um, and then we get an... A, like a, I mean, I think you have seen this film before, so... Yeah, I've seen it once. I didn't remember much. <laughs> I understand why. <laughs> um... <laughs> And then we get a love ballad song during the the, the credits. Not as good as the one in uh, Legend, Legend of Eight of Samurai. Samurai. Yeah, yeah. Not as good. and Kinnaden. It's on my Spotify. I love it. <laughs> the way you pronounce that, man. I know. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now I will say the film does have a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. Like the people behind it clearly know what they're doing and and have faith in what they're doing. But it just doesn't work. Like, the bare red spots doesn't even feel like a lingering, like, lumbering, this powerful thing that's just could show up at any time. Like, it just, there's there's not a lot of power with him. Um, I mean, I, feel this, I think the film does a decent job at establishing him as a threat. Especially they, at the beginning when he just lifts a woman up for, from biting, with just biting her on the shoulder. <laughs> they they establish he has power and he's a threat, but I don't think they give him enough to make him this, like, threat that, like, is, you can feel its presence. Like, it just kind of feels like it's there to help move the plot and be the villain, the problem. <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't know. If, I, I don't think I really agree with that. I mean, it thing is as well, it's the film portrays it a bit as a monster, but at the same time, it is at the end of the day, the end of the day, just it is a bear. Right. <laughs> it is a what it is a wild animal. It's it's not literally your just it's not just a movie monster. <laughs> Right, but neither is Jaws. Like, Jaws is just a, a shark. But j- the the impact Jaws has throughout that film, Bruce, the shark, 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna say it's uh, like obviously like a film like Jaws is far more effective in that regard. But I'd still I still think Yellow Fangs at least does a decent job with it. With See, especially I... with scenes like the like the whole village ends up evacuating. Because I would say the scenes where the bear is there work. When the bear is not there, there is no weight. There is no fear. There's nothing looming for our characters to be afraid will show up. Sure, sure. I I think there are some exceptions to that with like the whole like evacuation. Uh, scene, but I wouldn't say you're entirely wrong either. Now, did you? I've been talking a little bit. Do you want to? Is there anything else you want to bring up? Oh, actually, one thing. Did you notice any audio mixing error issues in the film? I did. I did. Yes. In the town scene specifically. Yes. The the when Sonata's talking with. Uh, the leader yep. of the hunting yep. group. That's when I was they like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I, I like, I, I was like, let me make sure. Like, I literally was like, okay, is, is everything plugged in right? Like, <laughs> I'm, I was I'm, very I'm, confused. <laughs> I'm watching this with my headphones. Is it my player? It's my player. Oh, no, I was it? watching it on my TV. I was very confused. I was like, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. That I, I noticed that. <laughs> now, part of that I think is because this film was considered lost. Really? Uh, yes. And I think that's simply because the film didn't get anywhere. It flopped mm, at the box office. It, yeah, I heard it bombed. Um, I mean, no this, surprise that you know what happened next year? Well, this is this film led to Sonny Chiba having to sell the Japan yes. Action Club. And yep. he also had to sell his mansion, his restaurant yeah. chain, and all of his assets and move to America to make films. Right. Although I think in the modern day, the Japan Action Club, now known as Japan Action Enterprises, I I want to say that is currently an independent entity, or at least it did split off from the companies that bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, from Chiba, which were Daishinto and the Nico Nico Edamura. But this film basically ruined Sonny Chiba. Oh yeah, this <laughs> yeah, this was not good for his career. Which is a shame because I think that I I I think he well I don't know if his direction always works. I think it's I think he there's a dis, there's a clear style. Yes, with his direction. Like not only with how he um, does horror scenes, but also the action editing, as you mentioned, but also in the camera work. I noticed there were a lot of a, the movie uses like zoom ins and zoom zoom outs a lot throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just like these little stylistic touches where I feel like you know if Sonny Chiba had continued directing, like you know, could have legitimately with a better script do some really cool stuff. Oh, I absolutely agree. I really wish that we could have seen uh, Sonny Chiba directing more. 
I think he has a very interesting visual style. Right. And I would love to see more. I'm really upset that this was one of his only times directing. Yeah. And it is and it is odd that, you know, in he never really got to to my understanding to, he never really full on directed an actual like martial arts movie given, you know, his a lot of his career was essentially built from that. <laughs> right. Granted, I do think he did do action directing for some Yes. Yeah, no, he 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 that was one of his big things was he he was right. an action director. Right. But I really which do you can wish... tell in some, which I feel you can tell in the in a lot of the horror scenes of this film. Yeah. You I mean, yeah. It feels like a film directed by an action guy. Mhm. Which I think helps. I, I I think that is probably what makes the film not unbearable. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. oh no. I think I think action, horror, horror, and action in terms of like the directors. Like if you got a horror director working, horror director working on an action film, or an action director working on a horror film, great, great. Because to do good action and to do good horror, you you got to know how to build how to have tension and suspense. Mm-hmm. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. So that's why, like, when you get, like, people like James Wan, known for the Conjuring series, you get some amazing and really cool action scenes in movies like Aquaman and Malignant. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that uh, Chiba seemingly had a lot of potential for... Yeah, I feel there's legitimate potential here as a horror, and obviously he would be just great as a director for action films if he had done more of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just just a shame, really, missed opportunity. So, I mean, is there really anything else we could discuss about this film? I feel like we've pretty much discussed all we can. Yeah, again, there's not a lot to this film. No, but <laughs> for, I think... For the runtime, especially. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think this is a good time to uh, transition to the conclusion of the film discussion. Mm-hmm. The cast and crew. Oh. First, of course, Hiroyuki Sonata, who played Eiji, was in the film's message from space, Legend of Eight Samurai, Samurai Reincarnation, Ring, Spiral, Ring 2 on Meiji, and was in the television shows Jack Q and then Message from Space. Yeah. And then Message from Space Galactic Wars. He also was in the theatrical play for Little Shop of Horrors in Japan, apparently, which is pretty cool. Oh. (laughs) You have Mika Muramatsu, who played Yuki, who also won the Newcomer of the Year Award at the Japanese Academy Awards. Prior to this, she did have an acting role in the television series Mega Beast Investigator Just Beyond. (laughs) Teru Kurosaki, who played Sub, was in Spider-Man, the 1970s Toei television show. Battle Fever J, Electronic Sentai Denji Man, Chodenshi Bioman and Mega Beast Investigator Just Beyond. 
Takashi Maya, who played Jiro, was also in Mega Beast Investigator Just Beyond and Heavy Armor B Fighter. He also was in a 1994 adaptation of Yotsuya Kaidan and played Seymour in the Little Shop of Horror stage play that Sonata also worked on. For Gohei, the actor was named Satoshi Kurahara, who was in Himetsu Sentai Go Ranger, Jack Q, Battle Fever J, Denshi Sentai Denji Man, Gogol 5, O-Ranger, Car Ranger, the 1970s Toei Spider-Man, Space Sheriff Gavin, Mega Beast Investigator Just Beyond, Spielban, Jiraiya, Jirban, Jiban, <laughs> Jump Person, B-Fighter, and B-Fighter <laughs> Kabuto. Yes, I don't know Metal yeah. Heroes. I, I, don't, I don't know the Metal Hero stuff. He also was in Batan Robo Maru, Kamen Rider Black, Message from Space, Zeram 2, Kamen Rider J, and Mechanical Violator Hikider. As for your crew, you had Sonny Chiba, who was the director and producer, who was in Prince of Space, Invasion of the Neptune Men, Golden Bat, Wolf Guy, Message from Space, Virus the Day of Destruction, The Legend of Eight Samurai, Terror Beneath the Sea, New Seven Colored Mask, Messenger of Allah, Robot Detective, Space Sheriff Gavin, Shirvan, and about a thousand other titles because it's Sunny Chiba. As for your two other producers, you had Yozo Sakurai and Hiroshi Ishida, who I couldn't find any tokusatsu or J-horror credits. And your screenwriter was Shigeku Matsudaira, Matsudura, who, again, I didn't have any other credits. And with that, I'm out of things for Yellow Fangs. Damn. <laughs> so is there anything else really to say outside of uh, final, uh, final links? Our... Our uh, most noblest of podcasting traditions. Mm. Well, before we do that, there is something to uh, to bring up. As of this recording, there is two days left in the first annual Convies Awards, which mm. in the description of this episode, there will be a link to the Google form. Please fill it out. It's only like five questions. It's not very long. <laughs> It's yeah. multiple choice. It's not even, you don't even have to type. You just got to yeah, hit buttons. Yeah. yeah. Tell us, tell us what movie you absolutely hate. We, I'm like the worst movie that we've covered. Tell us which one. And don't say Shin Ultraman or Shin Kamen Rider, for God's sake. <laughs> and uh, the results will come out next week as of this release. It will come out next week. And you'll have the listener's choice, you'll have Rex's choice, and you'll have my choice. And then we'll uh, be moving on to next year's Convies, which will be an interesting one, to say the least. <laughs> mm. um, outside of that, there's nothing really else housekeeping-wise for the podcast. I think we're we're officially on to the most noblest of podcasting traditions. Do you want to get us started here, Rex? Alrighty. Well, dear listeners, you can find me on YouTube at Rex Zeno, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, 
and on Instagram, Rex And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. And as for me, hello, I'm Elijah, and I have a kaiju and tokusatsu problem. Joking aside, I am Elijah Thomas. You can find me as one of the rotating hosts for the Monsters with Attitude YouTube channel. We have monthly live streams talking about kaiju entertainment. You can also head over to Facebook and join our Facebook group. It's a great place full of like-minded people. I'm also a writer. I've written for GodzillaMovies.com, and I've been featured in Kaiju Ramen Magazine. Currently, I write for Kaiju United. My most recent article was a review on Takashi Yamazaki's Godzilla Minus One, paired with my informative article prior to the film's release, which aged like fine wine. (laughs) So fine. So fine. So uh, definitely go check those out. And my writing has also been featured in the book Giant Bug Cinema, A Monster Kid's Guide from Bear Manor Media, where I wrote about Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. I'm also a filmmaker and YouTuber. You can check out my stuff on YouTube at ET13 Productions, where you can see some of my short films and older YouTube videos. Uh, There's also a playlist on my channel that features all of my appearances on YouTube. And there are new videos going live. I think my most recent one was summarizing all the Godzilla movies into one sentence each in celebration for Godzilla Minus One. So definitely check that out. I also have appeared in a kaiju movie, a little-known film called Zillafoot from 2021. I made a brief cameo in the film as Skywatcher number two. It's got a rating of 3.7 out of 10 on IMDb, so you know it's peak cinema. Hell yeah. So if you want to watch more kaiju, you can buy the Blu-ray on srscinema.com or the DVD from any major online realtor. Or you can just watch it for free on Tubi with ads or watch it on Prime. You can also check out my action figure photography on my Instagram at ET13 underscore productions and my ex, the artist formerly known as Twitter. Thanks, Danny. At the same handle. Now, as for the podcast... Don't forget to rate us on iTunes that boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't claim you might, um, that's a lie. I need to stop lying because I'm using a MacBook to do this podcast. But you can rate us on Spotify now. And based off the analytics, there's a lot of people on Apple Podcasts. So go leave us a review. And if you're not on Apple Podcasts, I know there's a lot of people on Spotify. Go hit the Spotify rating. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-B-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook at the same handle. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork on there. But until then, you can support our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even like a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. Most recently, there was a conversation in our general one chat about SSS Gridman and Godzilla Singular Point. It's a great community full of great people. 
Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. Sometimes we post exclusives to the channel like bloopers for episodes or minisodes talking about news or other subjects. We also have an interview with Mecha Godzilla designer and I guess now Baby Kong, Scar King, and Godzilla 2024 designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. And I definitely butchered <laughs> his name, so I'm so sorry about that. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at Giant Monster BS or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for listening. Last movie to talk about for the year. Not a banger, but still. It's been a great year. <laughs> so thank you guys as always. And please remember life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Now, baby, we love those kaiju, baby, and you will too now.